I think first and foremost, in order to really retain the talent and be able to build a very collaborative and trusting environment, if you may, it really boils down to building that strong foundation from day one. So we cover that in the book and we talk about the five C's that essentially, you know, the five C's of the pyramid that act as the cement that glues, you know, and keeps everything together. And those five C's are number one, competency. Number two, credibility. Number three, compassion. Four is communication. And number five being consistency. Construction Nation. Welcome to Lead with Trust. I'm Sue Dyer, and I've been on a three-decade journey to figure out how to make sure our construction projects succeed and produce some extraordinary results. My trusted leader journey has led me to work on over 4,000 construction projects worth over $180 billion. In this podcast, I'm here to teach you everything I've learned. One thing I know is that it starts with the leaders of the businesses and organizations that come together to build a project. If that's you, let's get going. Hi, welcome to this episode of Lead with Trust. And today, I'm very excited to have the co-authors of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, The Pyramid of Trust. And you know I'm all about trust, and I'm trying to gather those people who really have studied it and learned, and so that we can all learn more about how to grow and develop a high-trust culture, how to become trusted leaders and maybe how to trust in ourselves so that our business can be even more than it is today. So I would love to introduce you to Lisa Fay, who's one of the co-authors, and she is the founder and CEO of Clarity. And Clarity is a startup, and it is a wellness platform to help people build happier and thriving relationships grounded in trust. That sounds pretty exciting. Just an awesome person. Uh, she has been in Forbes, USA Today, Business Insider, and many, many other publications. Uh, Emmy uh, is Emmy Tark is the CEO of Webmetrics Group. And you're going to love Emmy. He is also a co-author, but is an an entrepreneur since his small age of 12 and had many, many dozens of businesses. So I, I just, though the sound quality isn't great, but we just try so hard to listen because he has enormous things to share and uh, expertise, uh, especially around entrepreneurship and trust. And so uh, Web Matrix is a public relations and reputation management firm. Uh, he's been quoted in Forms, uh, is a top 20 entrepreneur, and he's been on CNBC, CNBC, CNN, etc. cetera. Uh, so he's just done hundreds of millions of dollars um, in business uh, using the power of trust. 
And so let us listen in as we have a great conversation talking about trust and their book, The Pyramid of Trust. Welcome to this episode of Lead with Trust. And we are so excited today to have Emmy Tarek and Lisa Fay on this episode, who are the authors, the co-authors of The Pyramid of Trust. And yes, you know, that's what I love. I talk about trust all the time. And we have more experts to talk about it today. Because think about it, there's always more to learn and more people to get insights from. Just one thing could make a huge difference. So welcome, both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sue, for having us. Thank you. So I I start off asking everybody this question. So I'll start off with Lisa since, uh, you know, we can't see her today. Uh, What group did you hang out with in high school? That's a really interesting question, Sue. I think I was in different groups. I'm trying to like think about who I hung out with. And I like to hang out like several different groups because I was someone who really appreciated the talents of many types of different people. You know, there was like the jocks and then there was the, the, the the quote unquote nerds. Right. And then there's the people who are the, the loners. Even I appreciated all types of dynamics of people. So I'd like to think that I really tried to be open to being friends from all uh, with people from all walks of life. That's interesting. So I, I, I think that that's true for all of us. We sort of start off and we plant the seed for what we're going to do. <laughs> so what about you, Emmy? Who did you hang out with in high school? Uh, I was homeschooled for one. <laughs> That's interesting. And two, I basically built my own business at 12 and I used to find students who are older, around 16 to 18, who needed help so I could sell to them or their parents. So you've been an entrepreneur since what age? 12 years old. 12. Okay. Okay. There you got it. So how many businesses have you built? Okay. I had one at 12. I had another one at 18, another one at 19. Then I had one at 21, two at 21. I had probably over the course of the next um, last five years, probably about 30 businesses I've been involved in. Wow. That's awesome. Well, you, I'm sure you, you have a lot to talk about with trust. So Tell us about the journey to writing the book. How did you come to write this book? Let's let's start with Lisa again. Well, this book really stems from the desire to help people really navigate the complexities and the intricacies when it comes to the word trust and the concept of trust. And, you know, I'm the CEO and founder of a relationship wellness app called Clarity. And one of the experts that I interviewed for the book said that a relationship without trust is like a car without gas. It won't go anywhere. And so um, alongside with Emmy and my co-authors, you know, we decided that we wanted to write a book that covers every facet of trust from interpersonal to authoritative to Emmy. What else did we include? in terms of the different levels of trust. I'll let you include those. So we did the relationships, we did credibility, we did about leadership even, and about just creating trust in every aspect of every type of relationship available, because without trust, nothing's going to ever work. Like I went 
um, and when the first idea came was this, everyone says there's no one idea that will make you successful. You need a combination of ideas. I have a different belief that one idea is essential in order to make money or to get anything you want in life. And making millions and losing millions a few times over, what I figured out is like, what is the one thing that allowed people to make their money back or even allowed me to make my money back every single time? What it was, what I came up with was the idea of trust. And then that's what I believe was the secret to success. And I believe it's the secret to success. Wow, that's awesome. So, okay, we have on the, you know, we have listeners that are leaders of government, leaders of big businesses and lots of entrepreneurs. And uh, so I think that uh, I've heard people say that they think the currency this, these days is trust, that the main currency is trust. You're only going to be as successful as the level of trust you can create. Is that sort of what you guys have found? Is that your first? Absolutely. And so we explore like how trust also, you know, prevents people from having to stop and overanalyze their decisions that they make. Right. And so when they're forming these relationships and they're building these businesses, a lot of times, you know, people deal with this thing called paralysis by analysis. Right. And so people are often overanalyzing the possibilities of all their decisions. And so if we were to be stopped in all our tracks by every decision that we were confronted with, will probably not get anywhere in life, right? And our businesses would not propel. So trust is heuristic, meaning that it's essentially like a mental shortcut that allows people to make decisions very quickly rather than pausing to analyze every single action, thought, and situation. That's so important too, especially I think if you're starting up, I'm thinking about some of the CEOs I've known who, you know, they were a startup and then it really took off and scaled quickly. And the things they tell me later on is that, you know, the thing I forgot to think about was culture because <laughs> they're just going so fast. And then they realize that they it's out of control because they didn't really create the culture they wanted. What do you guys think about developing and how important it is to have a culture of trust? I'll, how about, Emmy, what, about, what do you think about that? You've had lots and lots of businesses. I believe that without trust with your employees and the open dialogue, Nothing's going to ever move the way it needs to move. At the end of the day, if people can't communicate openly with you and feel safe to do so, what's going to happen is this thing's going to be left under the rug and it's going to cause a big break later on. So to me, culture and trust is essential in a sense that if you can't trust your employees and they can't trust you and you can't work in harmony or unity, whichever we want to say it, you're going to be fighting and opposing each other. And therefore, you can have a lot more issues, whether that is embezzlement, whether that is, and I suffered that, that whether that is employees um, unhappy and quitting for other people, sabotaging you, or even if you're talking about um, customers being unhappy. Without a good dynamic and culture, how are you going to thrive? Yeah, and you see now with all the great resignation, uh, people yes. are making different choices. So, um, you know, both of you, what do you, what do you advice do you have for leaders today who are facing this, where uh, their people are leaving, uh, they're not keeping their good people, and the people have more options? Lisa, what do you think? I think first and foremost, in order to really retain the talent and be able to build a very collaborative and trusting environment, if you may, 
it really boils down to building that strong foundation from day one. So we cover that in the book and we talk about the five C's that essentially, you know, the five C's of the pyramid that act as the cement that glues, you know, and keeps everything together. And those five C's are number one, competency. Number two, credibility. Number three, compassion. Four is communication. And number five being consistency. So when you're able to really, you know, hone in and implement all five of these in building your business, you know, especially when it comes to um, building your employee team, I think it's really important to keep all five of these um, in the back of your pocket and really be cognizant when you're interacting and building that team. And are these five C's like uh, in order priority or do they need to all exist at once? They need to all exist at once. They're all interdependent upon one another. Like I said, the cement that glues all the other layers of trust together. Very cool. I know that you have the uh, the four, the five levels of, of trust in the book. And the top one, I just really, I want to talk about it a little bit, which is blind trust. You know, in my work, there was some research that was done oh, probably 20 years ago, but uh, it's just as valid today. And what they were doing is they were measuring, is there a correlation between the level of trust and the cost of a project? And what they found is there is a direct correlation. So as trust levels go up, costs go down. And as trust erodes, costs go up. But then there's this other little line that says blind trust. We're not talking about blind trust. So let's talk a bit about what the heck is blind trust. Amy, can you tell us a little bit about that? And then we'll talk to Lisa. Okay, to blind trust, what it is, is it's when you trust something so unconditionally, you don't even question it. Because you establish through the five C's such a level of trust. And then you also show such a bond that's forged over time. I believe that true trust is formed, not for the good times, but for the bad times. Too many people were able to basically abandon people during the bad times, but be there for the good times. It's easy to be for, with anyone during the good times. But in the hardest times, can you stick with them and help them and support them and each other? That's a different level of trust that's built. And when you go through really hard trials and hardships together, that level of trust where you become so reliant on each other without even thinking, that is where blind trust becomes in where you would never, ever doubt that person. And so do you have any thoughts on that, Lisa? I'm going to let Emmy specialize in this one. Okay. He, he, we don't want any blind trust here. <laughs> okay. So to me, if I take it even further, like you said about the great resonation, another thing I would say even, a lot of leaders are not focusing on their employees' goals. We, at the end of the day, every single person is a human being. Every single person has a dream. If you can focus on helping these people get their dreams and you lead them to what they want, they will follow you blindly. At the end of the day, it's also knowing how to frame things through different patterns of words. For every word and every way we talk is different, and tonality as well. We all go through hard times, we all go through good times. But if we go through the hard times, our state and how we deliver it and what we say will influence the way people receive it. If we can think about how we're trying to get people to take feedback so they feel comfortable again, they will blindly follow what the company wants because they believe in this mission and vision. And they knowing that aligning their vision with the company's vision is going to help them get to their vision. To me, that's the real secret, is aligning and creating a win-win 
whole harmony. I agree completely. Alignment is the key. And there's a lot of talk about it, but there's not a lot of people that really know how to create it, I don't think. And it's also one of those things I believe that um, entropy and chaos sort of happens. So it, it's a constant having to realign, realign, realign in order to stay aligned. So Lisa, you have any thoughts on, on aligning? You're in a startup. You're in a different mode now. What are you doing to build trust and alignment? Amongst the team members, Sue? Yeah, amongst the team members so that they reflect that out to your customers. You know, I really think it starts, again, with every organization, it starts from the top down. So amongst our management team, we have built such a level of trust. You know, when you're building a startup, you experience the plight of entrepreneurship, right, to an enormous extent. And there's so many ups and downs. And so, you know, when you are with your partners from the very beginning, building something from ground zero, you develop that level, like Emmy says, of that blind trust. And so when you build that level of trust amongst the management team, I think that really also resonates throughout the product. And even the customers are able to see how much consideration and trust was put into building a type of product, any type of product. I think that, you know, the customers can really feel the soul and the essence in trust um, that emanates from the top down. I couldn't agree more. The, the, the leaders create the atmosphere. Yeah. You, you got any thoughts on all your businesses you've had, Emmy, on where you had like the biggest challenge to creating trust? The biggest challenge is, is when you're acquiring companies, in my opinion. Not only when you start up and acquiring a company, when they don't know where you can take the direction of a company and they never met you before, and they're nervous about their future. Creating trust during an acquisition or takeover, it takes a different mindset and a different way of establishing trust and to restore culture and realign that culture to where you want it to go to so it thrives better. Because a lot of people who talk about requiring companies, they want to do this idea of Dan Penia where you get a bunch of companies and sell it for more. I have a different belief. You acquire a company, you scale it out to the maximum it can be, whilst you do the other ones. At the end of the day, if you're having, let's say, 10 companies, but they all are broken, the whole thing is going to collapse. If you have one or two or three good, solid companies, you're better off. Okay. That's an interesting philosophy. Of, um, I think that uh, one of the barriers I've seen with trust is just uh, people's resistance. And, uh, and resistance comes in lots of different forms. And yeah. There's no trust without some kind of openness. My research that I did showed that uh, the, the opposite of trust is fear. And fear shows up as poor communication. So people will tell you, oh, my people don't tell me anything. Why didn't I know about this? Why isn't there going to know about this problem? Why didn't I know about this opportunity? And they don't tell you because the communication just isn't flowing. Uh, and so what do you guys think about trust and communication, coordination and alignment? Because they kind of all go together. What, what, what can we do to make that happen for us, especially if we feel like it's eroded a little bit? I'll start this one. What I do when I acquire companies is I like to know who my employees are, what they like to do for fun and get them comfortable in their own environment. At the end of the day, what might make you comfortable might make them nervous. 
And I always find if you're at the office, for example, trying to get what you want, they're going to be nervous. If you take them, for example, let's say their favorite restaurant, they're going to relax a lot more and be a lot more open to communicate. And then once you get back, you can start now mapping out a strategy with the entire culture of every team member, how to realign towards where you want to go. So to me, it's about getting them relaxed. It's about state control, really. Another, another thing I just heard you say, which I think is key too, is you let them co-create it. Yes. You're not you're not telling them. You have to work together in unity. Yeah. Lisa, you got any thoughts on that, on, on getting alignment and open communication, especially if there's some, it's not maybe not working quite well as you would want it to or need it to? So I think one of the most important things from the get-go is to try to really understand each team member's strengths and weaknesses and also understanding their personality type, right? A lot of people, they use personality types to assess if they're compatible romantically, but why not also use that professionally, right? Find out if you're, for example, an ENFP or INTP, you know, just understanding what kind of personality types each team member is just really helps you get a good understanding of what motivates them, what inspires them, and perhaps like some of their blind spots as well. And once you get a good understanding of the overall, you know, landscape of your team and what it is that you're working with, I think it's so much easier to get them to be able to buy into your vision, right? Especially if you're first starting off, you know, especially like a company like ours, you know, starting from ground zero, how did we get people to join a startup. At the end of the day, it's really if the team members buy into your vision and if they trust that the vision can be executed. So what do you do to make sure that happens? What do we do to make sure that people are buying into the vision? Is that your question, Sue? Yeah, yeah. You know, you're creating that feeling of excitement and cohesion. So I think that that from the get-go, there has to be a certain level of true passion from day one, right? If you're not passionate about building something, chances are there's someone out there or another team that's going to surpass you and they're going to do a better job and you're going to be left with perhaps the crumbs or the leftovers when it comes to market share, right? And so I think once you identify the people who are truly passionate about your vision, then everything else, you know, it's so much easier for everything else to fall into play. Because if you have the passion and you have the vision, then now it's like a matter of how do you get there, right? And part of that is by trying to eliminate the uncertainties. Okay, eliminating uncertainties. That sounds like uh, a good a good mode to try to achieve. Um, and how do how do we know what the uncertainties are that are causing the drag? I think this like drag, you know, foot on the gas, foot on the brake, you got drag. Certainly, certainly. Um, I think that that's one of the biggest challenges ever, you know, is trying to figure out how to eliminate the uncertainties. But, you know, a lot of it is just trial and error and then also taking a leap of faith and being super, super persistent and resilient because it's not going to work the first time. You know, a lot of times you have to try things continuously in order to really get it right. But as long as the team really believes in the vision, then you'll know that, you know, through resilience and through time and patience as well, and maybe a stroke of luck, eventually, hopefully you'll get it right. It reminds me of the concept of you have to step into it to kind of figure out what the next step is. 
Exactly. Yeah. One foot in front of the other. <laughs> yeah. Because you don't, you don't know what path to take until you've taken a path and you figure out, oh, let's go this way or let's go that way. Hope you're enjoying this show. Every time you and your team step foot onto a construction project, you bring your business culture with you. For any construction project to succeed, there must be a high trust culture. It doesn't matter if you're in planning, design, construction, or startup phases. The more trust you bring and build, the better your results. I've created a free resource for you, the Trusted Leader Profile, so you can know exactly the level of trust you bring to your business and projects and what you can do to boost trust. You can grab that at sudico.com slash profile. That's S-U-D-Y-C-O dot com slash profile, P-R-O-F-I-L-E. And I hope that you'll remember that always high trust equals high performance, and it really depends on you. Now back to the show. You've done so many businesses, Emmy. Tell us, tell us what your thoughts are on this because you, you've taken lots of paths and had to decide which path to go along and which not, how, how, that your people will trust you to follow. What, how do you do that? Uh, what I do, as I said, is I really find out what people make people tick. What are they passionate about and how can I align their vision with my vision? Because if I can do that, I can get them to work. And well, drill, drill us down a little bit. How do you do that? What, do you have mind meld abilities? <laughs> yeah. So I just basically ask questions very openly. I'm like, I just ask people, if you could change one thing about your life, what would it be, for example? Right? Everyone, I believe, has something we want to change about our life. I call it the escape and arrival effect. We all want to escape from something. No matter how successful we are or how successful in any area of our life. We always want to escape something in our life, in every area. And knowing that, I always say it's escape and arrival. I try to figure out with these people, worth by conversation, what is it that really makes you unhappy in this area? And if I can figure that out, I can figure out how we can make them want to remove it. And like, some people are very comfortable with uncertainty, like myself. Others, I'm not so comfortable with uncertainty. If that's the case, are they in the right role? Sometimes you've got a brilliant employee, but in the wrong role. So sometimes you want to put them in a role that suits their personality more, if they're certainty-driven or uncertainty-driven. Like some people are better and more analytical than others. So again, I look at the roles. I want to know what type of person more is analytical or not, uh, and are they certainty-driven or not. If they're not certainty-driven, I move them to a different role. Um, with more, where they can perform better. It's playing to their strengths, really, is what I do. You learn that through conversations. You can't do it except by conversations. At least my experience. So what I heard is a couple things there that I think are really brilliant. One is that you you really care. You know, I, you I'm, a believer, care. I'm a believer is you can't fake caring. People, people pick up on that pretty fast. So you really care. And then on top of that, you're looking at right person, right seat so that they can thrive, not weep along. <laughs> That's, is that, did I kind of pick it up? Is that what you're sort yes. of? Exactly. Lisa, what, what are you doing with your team to make sure you've got right person, right team, and also ownership? That's what I see missing so many businesses. 
you have order takers, people that, you know, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And they do it, but then they wait for you to give them another order as opposed to taking ownership of the whole process or the result. Got any thoughts on that? Yes. So I think that this boils down to alignment in the sense that, you know, is each team member's genuine interests and passions, you know, are those things aligned with what it is that you're having them do with, you know, their job titles and responsibilities, right? It's all of that in alignment. You know, you have to make sure that, again, it's the right person for the right job, right? And so how do you really identify that? By, like I said, the strengths and weaknesses and figuring out their personality type. I really think that by understanding each individual as a whole, you know, inside and outside of work, right? A lot of times your personal life really translates into what it is that you want um, out of your professional life. And so when you build that level of trust with your employees, you know, trusting, they will trust that you are able to assign them the types of projects that is really tapping into their full potential and their expertise. So I've always believed in like basically assigning people to do whatever they're good at, right? Whatever they're the best at. Everyone should be swimming in their own lane and owning what they're the best at. And if there's something that I assign to you and you feel like, you know what, this is not really expertise, then that shouldn't be your project, right? We're going to get somebody else who does specialize that so that you can do what you're the best at. So I've always believed in everyone swimming in their own lanes and really owning each piece. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like what we all need to have happen. I see I see it is not the norm in most businesses that I that I've seen is that it's hard to get people to actually take ownership because the atmosphere and the culture isn't a high isn't high enough trust uh, for that to occur. Um, so tell me about Outside of the business, what are you doing to develop trust with vendors, stakeholders, customers, people that are looking on at you and are interfacing with you, but are not you? Amy, what do you do? Okay, what I do is two things. One is I use a lot of, I call it the purple cow method, right? I like Seth Godin's work, the purple cow. And the concept is if you're driving down the highway, you would ignore the cows. If you see a purple cow, you'll pull up and take a photo of it and interact with it. I always try to be different. The more different you are and the way more creative you are, the better. So there's another book I really like as well called Giftology by John Rulin. And there's a line I like in it in particular more than anything else in that book, more than the actual concept. I use the concept, but what I really like is this. It says, if you take care of the family, you'll get them for life. So I always figure out who is the most important person to that person? Just doing a bit of background research on social media, generally you can find most people on social media and who's the most important person to them most of the time. Not always, but if you can, it makes your life easier. For example, if I know someone who I want to build a good relationship with, is married, and the center of the world is not their wife or husband, but it's more of their kids, I will find what the kids are into and I will do some research and I will just basically get them a present for their kid even. Or if there's a partner the most important person, I'll get them something different like chocolates on their behalf, like Godiva chocolates. Most people never get Godiva chocolates. So it's just really about standing out with gifts. Or another thing I like 
is power banks engraved with their logo. Nothing with you, just their logo, because I want them to use it and think of me every time with a positive interaction. So the more I can make them think of me in a different way and associate positive things with me, the more they're going to like me, the more trust is built. Okay, so it's it's building a, a history of, of perception of trust and liking, likability. Yeah, and it's touch points. The more touch points I can get. So, for example, I bring the power bank. I always run out of charge on my phone. I constantly run out of charge. I have a power bank on me. And I get it for clients. I never go for myself. And I should actually get it for myself. But I like, if I get you a power bank with your book logo on it, for example, um, what will happen is every time you need to go out, you're going to have it on you. Every time you use it, people are going to comment on it. Like, it's so different. I see it at events. It brings about positive feelings. And therefore, it brings about a touch point because you have to think about me who gave it to you. So it's about creating touch points in different ways and standing out. For example, a lot of people like text. I like to do videos. You can feel like you're building a relationship if you're not meeting in person just from video alone. Yeah, I, I like that too. What about you, Lisa? What do you do to uh, you know reflect out in in your into your vendors and stakeholders and maybe your even the people that are funding the, the brand new startup business? Yes, yeah, so I actually spoke about this in the Pyramid of Trust book, how to apply the five love languages, Gary Chapman's five love languages to building that level of trust. So, you know, when you think of the five love languages, you think of, okay, this is how you typically build a romantic relationship, right? By figuring out which one people prefer or which, you know, first, uh, the primary and the secondary, right? But what about applying the five love languages as well to building professional relationships, right? So that's something that we really explore in the pyramid of trust as well, because some people may really respond differently to different things. So some people may really vibe and appreciate with, appreciate words of affirmation. Others may appreciate acts of service. And other people, on the other hand, may appreciate quality time, right? So I think that it's really important to be able to, again, understand who it is that you're dealing with, who it is that um, you're, who's in front of you, right? And just trying to figure out as much as you can about them through perhaps the five love languages. I love that application, actually. That's it's really smart. Uh, I think I love that part. I also love the idea of uh, personalities because I've done quite a bit of research on this over the last 30 years and worked on it. And one of the things that I did was started, uh, co-founded a mediation program, a same day court. And so uh, people would come into court with their grievances and uh, the judge would say, if you want to, you know, want to resolve this, go with the mediator. And uh, one of the things that we we learned in doing mediations is that uh, wherever you go, your personality follows you. <laughs> so, you know, and so it, we we always tell the mediators it's it's never about what the issue is. It's about the, the issue is a manifestation of the personality conflicts typically. So, so if you don't get to the core and understand what's really going on, you can't really resolve the issue. So I, I just think it plays out everywhere um, in, in work, in, at home, in business, wherever we are. Uh, the other thing I see about personalities is that 
especially those of us who've been leading for years, we think, well, you know, I'm pretty successful. Little bit of me is good. A lot of me would be great. So they tend to hire people like themselves. And then they wonder why they always have the same problems. <laughs> you guys have any thoughts on, on those, on that? I was going to say, I love what you just said. Uh, I'm guilty of this as well. I align myself a lot with people who are similar to me. And I'm trying to be more broad. It's just because I think you're comfortable with it. So it's easier to talk about in your comfort zone. So when you're hiring people, I actually don't like people who are more like me. I like people who have different strengths from me. But in my personal life, yes, I'll definitely do that as well. Like, I'm not the best at operations. I admit that. I'm very good at strategy and finding weaknesses. But to implement, I'm not the best at it. So I don't want more people like me. I want people the opposite of me. Yeah. So you would, you know, you recognize you need someone that's got the opposite sides of what you have, the other side of the coin. <laughs> yeah, I know that in business. Exactly. Lisa, what and about I, you? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. This is like, you know, the first question you asked us, what kind of people did we hang out with in high school? I mean, I feel like, you know, I tend to really appreciate people who are different from me, you know, and in the sense that like, I want to hire people who can help fill my weaknesses, right? All my blind spots and, you know, people who are better than you at certain things, right? You want to hire people who are really, really competent in certain areas that you're not competent in perhaps to fill your weaknesses. So I couldn't agree more with you both. I think you got to trust yourself enough to do that, which might be another part of the, the whole trust pyramid, right? It is. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the relationship with yourself. Self-trust is a really crucial topic in the book, uh, Pyramid of Trust here. So we talk about that, you know, and ultimately at the end of the day, it boils down to, do you even trust in yourself, right? Because if you don't trust in yourself, how can you expect anyone else to trust in you? It's kind of like that one saying, people say, you know, if you can't love yourself, how can anyone love you? I, th I think that's so true. So for all of us, you know, it's, I'm sure it's a daily thing we all work with is trying to uh, make sure that we, we can trust ourselves that we're going to follow through with what we said we were going to do to ourselves and, uh, and make sure that we're doing what we need to do. So I, I just want to thank you both so much for being here. Where can people find you? Where can they find the book? They can find the book on Amazon and they can find us on Instagram. I'll let Lisa give her Instagram. Well, LinkedIn yes. always wants to give. I'm at Lisa Lynn Faye, L-I-S-A-L-I-N-F-E-I. Okay. Gotcha. And then on LinkedIn and Instagram, I'm pretty much the same everywhere, actually. Imi Tarek. That's literally I-M-M-Y-T-A-R-I-Q. And I'm pretty much the same everywhere. Perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes and we'll put a link to the book in the show notes. And I want to thank you guys so much for being here. It's such a pleasure to learn more about you and the book and how you guys are applying it. I just, it's so exciting to me because I really am on a mission to start a trust movement. I think we need more trusted leaders. We need more trust in the world. Look at what's going on. There's so much fear. We've got to work to drive it out. No, it is a lot of fear, especially in the pandemic. I just think people are so scared of everything. Yeah. And then the uncertainty with jobs, uncertainty how to create new income streams. It, it's what to true. Believe. It's true. Yeah. 
Yeah, just so much. Thank you, Lisa, so much. Thank you so much for having us, Sue. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for coming and sharing your brilliance. Thank you so much, Sue. Okay, Construction Nation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust. Will you do me a favor? If you think this episode can help anyone on your team or business, please forward it to them. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And your honest review, hopefully five stars, is much appreciated. Every leader who learns how to build their business and projects on a foundation of trust is going to reap the rewards of greater productivity, attracting the best of the best, enjoying your business more, and doing things you thought were impossible. If you want to know where you are in your trusted leader journey, I have a free resource for you. Please just go to sudico.com slash profile, S-U-D-Y-C-O dot com slash profile. And you can grab it there and find out where you are on your trusted leader journey. And so that is a wrap for today. Can't wait until I get a chance to hang out with you again next week. And until then, have a great day.